Um, this morning, we have a special treat. Uh, if you're in our singles ministry, you know this couple that we, uh, one of the single sisters um, asked me to, hey, you should invite Pablo. You know, it was, uh, you know, um, and I was like, yeah, I should. Let's have him come up. Uh, the sister's not here this morning, which usually happens, you know, invite the speaker and then I won't show up, you know, that, that happens sometimes, you know, it's part, it's part of being in the ministry. So those are the ups and downs of church. Okay. Uh, but Pablo and Nicole have been around for a very, very long time. Um, Pablo is a marriage family therapist. Uh, he's an amazing man. His wife, Nicole, is going to be sharing communion. They've helped multiple ministries in the LA church for a long time. Uh, I think they hailed out of the campus ministry in long beach long metro metro la and it's just a privilege to have them up here so i'm gonna have nicole come up and share communion she's gonna share a little bit and prepare our hearts for the lord's supper thank you gosh so encouraging should i pull this up or is this good good okay wow yeah this microphone's amazing um well, I am super grateful to be here and a lot of, you know, this small intimate group definitely feels like family. Oh, I see familiar faces. So encouraging. I'm like, wow, oh, I love it. Um, but I, what I love the most is I get to take this time to reflect on Jesus and what he really means to me. So hopefully you can connect with Jesus and what he really means to you. And so there's a woman in the Bible that I relate to so much. And so we'll focus there. So we're going to go to Luke chapter eight. And we're going to start in 42, but kind of the end of verse 42, and we're going to read to 48. So Luke chapter 8, 42 to 48. And I'll start there. It says, as Jesus went with him, the crowds pressed around him, including a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years. She had spent all her money on physicians, but no one was able to heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. But they all denied it. Master, said people, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus declared, someone touched me, for I know that power has gone out for me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not escape notice, came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she explained why she had touched him and how she immediately had been healed. Daughter, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I see the story that she tried everything in her life, but it didn't work. And she had to press through the crowds. She touched his cloak. And then she was called daughter. And so I see how I tried everything in my life to try to be that good Christian perfect person. I grew up in a stereotypical, hypocritical Christian family. Uh, you know, we went to a regular Christian church on, you know, that was close to our house growing up. And right, you what we did what everybody else did. We were we went to church on Sundays and we were like a Christian during the two hours, but like even on the drive before, my parents were like, you know, yelling at us in the back seat and on the way there, they're yelling at us on the way home. And and so then Monday through Saturday, it was like our lives were questionable. And I lived into that. I was that. But I knew I was like, but God's real and I want to live to be a Christian. I know this is the right thing to do. And so I tried everything. I would read the Bible on my own. I would read spiritual books. I would go to small groups. I would even go to church camps. Um, this is all like a, this is a Christian church that just said, hey, pray Jesus into your heart type of Christian church. And so this is where I grew up. And so, but I felt like as I grew older, as a teenager, you go to school and you're faced with all these temptations, boys are liking you, right? There's drugs being offered to me and I couldn't ever say no to temptation. So things weren't working. Like all these things I were doing wasn't working. I eventually got a boyfriend. I was like saying no to all these boys to try to be again, a good Christian person, got a boyfriend, fell into impurity, was sneaking out of my house, lying to my parents, lying to my boyfriend, lying to my friends, then finding out that, you know, uh, the, my friends and my, the so-called church I was growing up in, they were doing the same thing with their boys and not telling anyone. And so I felt like my Christianity wasn't working right. in in, in the sense of what I was trying to do. And there was no power in that, in that life. And so I realized, you know, as this woman was pressing through the crowds, I had to press through the crowds of my life. 
And so I was invited to study the Bible here in this church, um, the International Church of Christ in the Long Beach ministry in Cal State Long Beach. And so I, I did some Bible studies. I was like, I'm not going to say no to the Bible, like the Bible, duh, like it's the Bible. And, uh, but what was interesting was I thought I was already going to go to heaven, but like, there was still some questions. Cause again, if you saw my life, you're like, this girl is totally not a Christian, but she says she is like, I don't understand. And, um, and so I was really faced with dealing with myself and my own self-righteousness. I had to press through my self-righteousness that said, oh, I know everything I can do it all. You know, I'm cool with God. Like we're like this, you know, like we're good. And, uh, but then also too the, the church I was growing up and they were like, you don't need to go there. You don't need to get baptized. Like, that's weird. Like, no, you're already good with God. You don't need God any more than you already have him. And like, these are my best friends telling me this, like, this is wild. The leaders of the church were telling me this, but I was like, but, but I saw the difference right? You know, when you see the difference, it's like, I could imagine the, the bleeding woman saying like, wow, like Jesus, like he's so peaceful and amazing. Like I'm like, there's a gravitation. That's what I felt. I was like, there's a gravitation towards the truth. And I see over here, it's not working. And so, um, and so I, I continued to do the Bible studies and it was amazing because I saw the way of real Christianity from the scriptures, right? Repenting of my sins, confessing and being open um, and, you know, dealing with my fits of rage and my anger and my disappointment, the loneliness that I had felt from the lies that I had created around me, you know, he, um, repenting from impurity, getting, saying no and breaking up with my boyfriend. Like I just felt, I started feeling more free, and I started feeling, okay, things are working. All right. I can, I can now say no to temptation. And so then you see the bleeding woman, she pressed through the crowds and she touched his cloak. And I think of me, how that was me when I decided to get baptized in 2005, it was like, wow, I didn't understand. I was like, oh, God says to get baptized. Like, cool. All right. That's weird, but let's do it. Like, I don't understand. Get dunked in water. Okay. I trust you. I trust you, God. Let's do it. You know? And, and she was healed. And I felt that from the continual repentance, from confessing and having the, I don't know if you guys, you know, ever been in that sin study, you're just like crying your eyes out. That was me. I was like, <laughs> to the point where you can't breathe. And it was so healing to get rid of just these baggage and get out the stuff that I thought I was going to take to my grave. And now trusted women that love me and, and know me yeah. are helping me with this. Like there was a, that was a point of healing and then to get baptized and come up out of the waters and receive the gift of the Holy spirit. Now that's healing. Now I'm receiving a part of his healing to receive the forgiveness of sins for that stuff that I thought I would never forgive myself for. I'm being healed. I received healing from that. And so, you know, there, there, now there became a power in my life from actually living out the Christianity, the plan, living out the healing of Jesus. And so that was my freshman year of college. I feel like that was so year, so long ago, uh, but it also feels like it was yesterday at the same time, right? You just continually live that out. And, and then at the point, then she was called his daughter. And I think of how the bleeding woman, because she was bleeding, she was labeled as unclean and she couldn't be with crowds. Like she was not supposed to be with the crowds. I don't think she was married because no man would have married a continually bleeding woman at that time, right? They're like, oh no, never mind. You're unclean. Her parents probably abandoned her. And I see that's probably why he's called her daughter. Like, why does he use the word daughter? I think she was abandoned by her parents and now she was adopted into a family. And so for me, I feel like, wow, that was me. I was able to get rid of my loneliness and be a part of a spiritual family. And in that, there's healing in that. You know, when you reconcile with family members and you have some truth, you know, you're like, oh, it was a real conversation I just had with my, you know, my mom. Like, whoa, like, okay, there's healing. I had that healing experience in my life of being like, wow, I have spiritual mother and fathers. Now I have spiritual friends that love me and I don't have to lie to and they're not lying to me. And so just as, you know, she was called daughter, I'm called daughter. And I 
I continually feel healing from that. And so just like this healing, just like this healed woman, I don't even want to call her the bleeding woman because she's the healed woman. I'm the healed woman. And Jesus gave her real healing. Everything that I tried to do didn't work until I had the power of Jesus in my life, until I responded to Jesus in my life, until I had real faith of Jesus in my life. And that real healing was healing of my eternity, eternal healing. And as my eternity is being healed or as my eternity is healed, I'm experiencing healing in all the other areas. I don't know if you guys can relate, but I'm like, wow, my mental health is doing better. I'm less depressed. I say less because, you know, I'm still dealing with it every now and again. Uh, you know, my anxiety is doing better again. It's not a way, but, um, and, uh, but my emotional health, my relational health, I mean, there's no way I'd be able to have a marriage that I have now without Jesus. Absolutely not. And so as I continue to experience this ongoing healing, it brings me back to my connection with Jesus, to the relationship that I have with Jesus that gives me that, that healing. And so as we, and so I, it reminds me that as I connect with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I can experience the power of Jesus in that moment. Yeah. And so as we can take the bread, as we take the juice, just remember the power of his healing in your life. So let's pray for communion. God, just thank you so much for Jesus' infinite, eternal healing. God, that Jesus dying on the cross, living on this earth, being resurrected, that we can experience that in our lives. I mean, what an amazing promise and blessing that we have, that we can actually have a real relationship with you. And that in itself can heal everything inside of us that we try everything on the outside to do, but it doesn't work. Having a relationship with you actually brings us closer to the healing that we're looking for. And so I pray we can meditate on Jesus's life today, that we can think about Jesus moving forward and we can connect with you this morning. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. It's the God who's not scared of the messes we've made. He's waiting for us to say, come have your way. He's the God who's in the room with us. Why? All righty, everybody. Good morning. It is good seeing you all of here. And uh, it's encouraging to be with the Shoreline Church of Christ. Uh, thanks a lot. We were driving up here and it was very, very beautiful uh, driving up here. It's really cool to see all of you. And I want to thank Gio and Karen for the uh, warm invitation. Uh, we're super encouraged to, to be here with all of you. And uh, thank you to the singles who advocated for me. Um, just so you know, the way that this all worked out was uh, two Saturdays ago, we had a, a congregational event. That means all the LA Church Regents meet uh, at one location, and we chose the Orange County building. And so we had a good uh, contingency from the North Region, um, and we were at Orange County building, and uh, I bumped into Judith, and Judith uh, was just telling me, man, I, you know, our singles could use some encouragement. And I said, anytime, just invite me. I'll drive over there and hang out with the singles. And that turned into uh, coming and speak with all of you, okay? And so we're good with that. That's totally fine. So I look forward to having lunch with the singles after this. And uh, I heard we're going to go get some pizza. So looking forward. We're looking forward to it. Uh, I have to be completely transparent with all of you, okay? Uh, I've told Nicole something and I've told Gio a little bit. Um, I don't know what happened today, but, uh, my wife made me this beautiful green smoothie and I downed that thing because I'm like, yeah, you know, ready. I want to be healthy. And, uh, my stomach right here where I'm pointing at is not feeling good at all. And so I know that's the devil. Amen. The devil is like, Hey, you don't want, I don't want you speaking. And so uh, I tried everything under the sun that you can imagine, do this, do that, whatever. My wife was even opening up a bottle of essential oils and making me smell it to ground me. 
And so uh, I'm going to need your encouragement today, amen? So I don't know if you encourage the people who speak up here, but uh, I'm going to need that some more because uh, I'm going to need to get out. Now, if I need to call an audible and I need to step outside this room, I'm going to have to rely on Gio or Nicole to come up here and take over, okay? But I'm just letting you know, I got to be real. And I know that might be too much information, but I've learned vulnerability goes a long way. So let's see if the spirit works that way. Amen. Uh, I heard you all talking about relationships in your last few sermons. And uh, today it's interesting because I have a sermon on my heart that I wanted to share with all of you that I think is from the spirit. And it's called, it's entitled, Are You the One? And, you know, Nicole talked about counting on Christ, talking about relying on Christ, breaking through the crowds to reach Christ. But what I'm going to talk about, my two short points today is, can you count on me and can you count on us, the relationship? Because we need both of those. You need all three. We need to count on Christ. You need to count on me and we need to count on us. And the relationship that I want to explore today is the, the, the cousins, John the Baptist and Jesus. Because believe it or not, they were separate, but they were so close and intimate with one another. And I don't know about you, but I love Gio. I'm not that close to Karen, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I love Gio from afar. And it seems like anytime we talk, we're, we're, we just catch up from where we're at. And one of the things I appreciate about Gio is his heart for the kingdom. And I know that I don't need to spend every day with Gio to know that he's my brother in Christ. But I know that there's kind of this interesting doctrine going out there that you have to spend 24-7 with me unless... The, um, we have to spend 24-7 together or we're not close to each other. And that's not the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. Here in Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 20, we'll pick up here. The Bible says, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord and asked, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Shoreline Church of Christ, are you the one? Or do we need to expect another church? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? You know, when the Bible asks a question twice, we really need to pay attention. That's something that I'm learning through the Bible. And Nicole and I have been studying out Luke a lot. We're going to, in our region, we're studying Luke for the whole year. And so... One of the things that, that I appreciate my wife sharing in Luke 8, I'm going to be sharing from Luke 7, is that you see these dynamics with Jesus and how close he was with people, but it's not the way that we think we, we, should, we should be close with people. Because these two were bonded through the Spirit. You know, the Padillas and the Garces, if they go have dinner tonight, they're going to be bonded by the Spirit. We're going to talk the same language, have the same vision for the kingdom and the same heart. We could call each other higher. We could be there for each other. But we don't need to see each other for years. And we can do that. But can you do that with the people around you? And so what is going on here? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, uh, who's about six months older than Jesus, is in prison, as many of you know. And so he has, he's the one that started the movement, if you will, in the first century church. He was a prophet, the last prophet, uh, according to the Bible. And he's out there preaching the word of God in the desert, probably by Lancaster. He would have, he would have lived in Lancaster there. Uh, we were talking about how some people want to live in Lancaster and some don't, right? Uh, but, you know, he brought, John the Baptist would have been out there. And what's interesting was John the Baptist was doing incredible things, but so much so that he was so controversial, they put him in jail. And so then Jesus steps up. John the Baptist baptizes him, and he steps up, and now he's leading his ministry, and they're not in competition. They're, they're working together, but unfortunately, because John the Baptist is in prison, Jesus' position is now elevated, and so he's doing incredible things, and his cousin says, hey, 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 I've been here for a while now. I've been in jail for a while now, and I'm curious, how's it going out there? How is it going out there? And what's really interesting, some people may say, oh, I'm sure Jesus went to go visit him in jail. You know, uh, going to jail now is not the same as going to jail in the first century. You were not invited or expected to come and visit people. 
they might be able to sneak you in or if you had money or you had power, maybe you could get in and visit a, a loved one, but no one went to go visit jails. It was unheard of. And I'm convinced that Jesus didn't visit John the Baptist in jail. And you may be wondering, well, why? Well, think about it this way. I know the ladies had tea last night, right? They had a great tea event. I wasn't there, but I heard just now that it was awesome. I know many of you just saw each other yesterday. The questions you've asked each other yesterday, ladies, you probably wouldn't ask the same questions today. And so you got to ask yourself here, why would John the Baptist send the contingency of people if Jesus had already visited him? Because he didn't. Jesus hadn't visited John the Baptist. So the John was curious. He's all like, I'm hearing these things, but I wonder if he is the one. And he was doubtful. You know, now maybe, you know, I'm not saying he was leaving the Lord or he was losing his faith or he was weak or anything. I'm just saying that he was just curious. And some of us fall into that temptation too, where we doubt. God, do you want me to do great things? Are you going to make my life special? And guess what, Shoreline Church of Christ? God is choosing you to do something special. Singles, God is using you to do something special. Marrieds, I know the teens are over there, so someone please echo the, that, this sentiment to them. Students, God wants to use you in a powerful way because he's chosen you. And that's why you're here. And so he's asking you this question today. Are you the one? If we move on in Luke chapter 7, verse 21 to 22, the Bible reads, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Now, that would be an interesting question for all of us to answer today, right? What is being seen in our lives, and what, what are people hearing from us? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Wow. Jesus was a man of action. He said, you know what? You can count on me. That's the first point. You could count on me. And some of us may be saying, well, that sounds a bit prideful. That sounds a bit selfish. That sounds narcissistic. And there is this other false doctrine going out there sometimes in our church that people are narcissistic. Sometimes we need people to elevate themselves and say, hey, I want to do something great for God. Like what happened to that spirit? What happened to that dreaming? Right? I know for me, I lost it for a while. And I needed to get in my Bible, pray, connect with brothers and sisters in my life, get open and to be rekindled. Because it does fade out sometimes. And you start to doubt, Jesus, are you going to work in my life? Do you want to, do you want me to do something amazing? But Jesus says, you know what? Don't worry. Count on me. I got it. Look what's going around. I'm the catalyst here. I'm helping out. I'm doing my best. One of the things I tell my singles that I lead in Orange County is that I'd rather calm you down a little bit. It, your zeal and your passion and your dreaming. And if you make mistakes, if you're bold, I'll help you out a little bit. But it's really hard to work with someone to like elevate them if they don't want to be elevated. Like I can't give you passion. I can't give you that dream. I can't give you that desire. I can tell someone who's prideful, hey, man, relax a little, bro. Calm down. But I can't tell a brother, hey, man, we need you more, more, more. Because it's just like pulling teeth. And so where do you fall today? I'm going to go back here real quick to the scripture. What were the things that were going on? It says that the blind receive sight. We need vision. In our churches, in our singles ministries especially, we need a lot of vision in our lives. We need people to start saying, hey, I want to be a leader in God's kingdom. I want to go on a mission team. I want to be able to help support an area in our ministry. We need to start these language-based ministries. We need to get more support. I love that the women did the tea thing. That's amazing. I love tea, by the way. Uh, no caffeine, though. I, I And I don't drink caffeine. But yeah, just amazing. Thank you. I'll take it. Just for my stomach, for my stomach. Ooh, man, hook me up. Hook me up. But, but the blind receive sight. You know, Jesus cared about people's vision. Literally. Physically, he was like, we need the, the blind to receive sight. 
moving on the lame walk, you know, some of us, we have injuries in our life, spiritual injuries. You know, my wife talked about just her situation um, coming into the kingdom. I'm so grateful she broke up with that guy, you know, like, hey, that was an injury right there. That was, she was stumbling into the kingdom, stumbling into the kingdom and fighting through the crowds to get to Jesus. But some of us, we're, we're kind of dragging our feet a little bit. I know I've been there. Trust me, I'm preaching to myself here. Sometimes I'm dragging my feet. I'm lame. Jesus is like, come on, Pablo, get up. And I'm like, no, my stomach hurts, Jesus. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. It says that those who have leprosy are cleansed. You know, for me, I relate with this. This is for me, like, you want to be cleansed. You, you, you want to be pure before God. You know, you want to be pristine. And I just know for me as a man, the struggles with impurity and just all the stuff in my past, shameful things that I've done that I can't even comment here, just stuff that I look and I go, man, how horrible of a person I was. But grateful that God cleansed me. God wants you to be cleansed too. The deaf here, you know, he wants you to be understood, validated, that you listen, that you speak up, that your voice is heard. This is all about communication there. The dead are raised. God wants many people to come to Christ, to be restored, to be baptized, to join forces with us. And Bible says too, you got to care about the community because the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So those who are maybe at the bottom of our society feel like they're kings and queens because of the love of the Shoreline Church of Christ. That's what we want. That's what Jesus wants. So can we count on you? That's the question today. Because if you're the one, you got to say, hey, count on me, Gio. Count on me, Karen. Count on me. I got, I got it. I could serve in this way. Let's go. You know, uh, I, I, uh, I have some pictures here of some of these um, sporting events that have happened the last couple of years. And I just love it when the athletes, whether they're men or women, they just say, hey, I, I got the country on my back. I got my state. I got my city on my back. You know, I just recently saw the World Cup, and I am not a big fan of Messi, okay? Uh, I'm more of a Ronaldo fan. I grew up with him. I grew up with Ronaldo and Messi came a tad later, but uh, you know, I got to give the man credit. He put the whole country, basically the whole continent of South America on his back. He said, look, Brazil, you're out of it. Look, I'll pick you up and I'm going to take Argentina all the way. And this man, I kept telling my brother, who's a huge Messi fan. I told Juan, Hey, Messi ain't even going to go score a goal today. And then my brother would rub it in my face. He scored one. And I'm like, dang it. He scored two. Um, like it was a penalty that's weak and we would we would uh just joke around but i love it when these athletes just say hey i got it put, get, I, i'm gonna put that all on my back i got it we need more of that i mean think about this if these athletes can do this i mean what should that say about us in the kingdom of god that that we could be counted on you know, here are some ways that you could be counted on. You could be reliable. <laughs> you know, when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Got to keep your word. The Bible says we got to keep, let our yes be yes and our no be no, right? We got to be dependable. If you have a, a, a responsibility, whether it's the sound, AV, or, or whatever it is, cleaning up this place. Hey, I'm going to be dependable. I, I, if I said I'm going to serve in that capacity, I'm going to be relied upon. Some of us, we need to be self-managed. You know, a ministry this size, I know the, that the ministry that Nicole and I are directly responsible for in, um, in Orange County, we tell the disciples, hey, I'm not going to ask you if you're having your times with God. I tell them, this ministry is too small. We need to grow. And so you need to be self-managed. I, I don't have time to like chase you down. You have to chase me down. Right. I don't have time to ask you, oh, bro, can you be open? No, that's just that's on you. You got to be self-managed. Well, you know, we got to be proactive. Some of us, there are some needs in our church, whether they're here in Shoreline or somewhere in our region. But we got to say, hey, there's a need there. I'm going to go fulfill that. I'm going to be proactive, not just complain. We got to be productive. Hey, you know what? When's the last time I, I did open my mouth to share my faith and, and, and bring someone to church? When's the last time I was in a Bible study? When's the last time I was in a restoration study? When's the last time I reached out to this person that maybe I haven't seen in church in a while? Maybe just invite them for some coffee and say, hey, you know what? We're not even going to talk about church. I just want to be your friend. You know, are we going to be productive? 
Are you going to be held accountable? I struggle with this one because sometimes people ask me, hey, Pablo, can you do this? And I'm always, yes, yes, yes. And then I serve and I make mistakes or I don't give my full heart and people hold me accountable and I don't like it. I'm like, Ugh. you know, that just hurts. That's things when I know I could have done better, but it's okay to be held accountable. When you say count on me, remember the word count is in accountable. And I know a lot of us don't like accountability. You want to be counted on, but maybe we don't want to put that word in the accountability part, but we got to be accountable. You know, some of us, we got to be inspired and self-motivated, whether it's through the word of God, through our prayer, through fasting. You know, a couple of days ago, um, I made a decision to the Lord and I'm going to try to keep it as private as possible. But I said, I'm going to do this for you, God, because, you know, I haven't done this in a while and I want to be able to like glorify your name. And uh, uh, the, the, some of our younger singles said, Pablo, I think you can do that. And then some, and I was like, oh, shoot. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, and I was inspired and motivated by that. And what that did was that once I accomplished my goal, what ended up happening is I felt a lot better and more connected with Jesus. You know, Zio, I talked about that. You can't, I can't put passion in you, if you will. I can't like take that core and, and just send it to you. Um, we have to have self-control as well. You know, we can't be out there just doing whatever we want. We got to have self-control. And so the question today is, what are you carrying on your back? Are you carrying anything or do you have a light load? Like, man, Pablo, I'm not doing too much right now. Because we got to count on you. In Luke chapter 7, verse 23, the Bible says, Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other translations, it says, uh, hopefully no one is offended by me and my words. That this is all that I'm doing. Hopefully no one's offended by my life, by my way of life. I hope being a disciple doesn't offend you. I hope being a disciple, a true Christian that follows the, the, the word of God doesn't offend you. You know, I heard Gio's lesson. I was uh, listening to some of your shoreline um, uh, uh, messages uh, that happened a few weeks ago. And Gio was talking about building on the solid rock and putting into practice the words of God. And I thought, man, that's such a great lesson from Gio and how the, the, the Bible tells us to be people that are going to rely on the word and not be offended by him because his ways are tough. And so I'm going to share you a quick story about me and my stepfather. In 1999, February of 1999, um, I was studying the Bible. My mom had gotten baptized the month before in January of 99. And she had encouraged me, hey, you got to come to this church. And I said, sure. I studied the Bible. And as I was getting to uh, the light and darkness study, one of the challenges came up and they said, you know, your one of your greatest weaknesses is you hate your stepfather. And I said, absolutely. I want him to die. That's what I said as a 15 year old. I want him to die. And some of my temptations was that, and hopefully, oh, well, this is going to sound a little gruesome, but sometimes I wish, sometimes I would come home from school like at three uh, in the afternoon. And he was a deadbeat guy at the, at the time. I remember he was just on the couch and he was an electrician and he could be making so much money. I remember when the 105 freeway was being constructed and they were building the green line there, the, the Metro, um, he had an offer to make six figures every year. This is back in 99, which is probably $150,000 now a year to work or maybe 200, huh? And he was offered that and he was so lazy and I hated him for that. Because our family grew up on, on welfare, on food stamps, you know, the ones that they cut out of the book. That was me, okay? Not that nice little EBT card that they have now. Uh, that looks all professional. No, I had the old school, you know, you know, you rip it up and I'm all shy. Like, hopefully none of my friends are watching me. I'm buying these Cheetos. Uh, you know, that's what my mom gave me. That's how I grew up, okay? And so I remember I hated him and I remember having murderous thoughts of him of like, I wish I could just go grab a knife and stick it in his throat. That's how callous I was as a 15-year-old kid. Never did it, of course, but I always had that thought. Like, man, I just want to, to, to hurt him because he was beating up my mom. He was a deadbeat guy and was, and was violent in the home. And so I remember being offended by him greatly. And I remember... My uh, team leader at the time said, well, you need to forgive him. I said, what the heck? What kind of church is this? Why? And they read me, forgive or you won't be forgiven. My goodness. 
okay, so what do I do? And they're like, I think you need to reconcile with him and at least apologize. If he doesn't want to reconcile with you, that's a whole other thing. That's on him. But at least go apologize. And I remember I mustered the courage after a few days. I cried in front of him. I said, dad, I called him dad instead of stepdad. I said, dad, I'm sorry. I've had all these evil thoughts about you. And I remember he just gave me a half-hearted hug and said, oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's it. He never apologized to me. He never wanted to know why. He was a drunk. And I was just like, man, this guy. But I went to my team leader. He said, how did it go? I said, it went okay. He didn't apologize back or didn't reconcile with me. But at least I did my parties. I'm like, let's baptize you. I said, amen. So I got baptized. And that was great. May of 1999. So about three months later, I remember it was Cinco de Mayo weekend. And I remember um, he kept every Saturday night bugging my mom. Like, let's go on a date. Let's go on a date. And I remember uh, thinking, man, well, you know, I've he's so annoying and so needy because we're separate now. We don't, we don't live together. But um, I was thinking, you know what, maybe God is trying to work something with my family and maybe he's trying to unite us and maybe my stepdad will become a disciple. So I was praying God work in this way. And one night he was banging the door. Hey, I want to come in. I want to come in. And I said, all right. And my mom was on the couch and I was like, mom, do you want to like, maybe at least go out to dinner? He says, he's going to take you out. And my mom was like, no, nah, I really don't want to. And I said, all right, maybe God could be working here. I told her that. And my mom said, okay. My mom listened to me. And when she went out, she nearly lost her life that night because my stepfather assaulted her sexually twice that evening, beat her up, pulled the hair out of her, black and blue, scratches bloody everywhere. And I remember that next Saturday, that Sunday morning, I woke up late. It was like nine something. I'm like, shoot, we're running late to church. And church is in like 10. And I'm hearing wailing from my living room and women, my, my sister, my older brother. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I remember going out to the living room and my mom, I saw her in her condition. I was like, this is horrible. And this is all my fault. And I got offended by Jesus because I said, you told me, I followed your direction. I said, I would forgive him and move on. But look at what happened, God. Why are you allowing this to happen? This is not the dream that I was hearing. I was hoping they would go on a date, reconcile. Maybe he would be interested in studying the Bible and get baptized. And that didn't happen. And I said some evil things to God at that time. I'm like, God, I'm going to go be super reckless. And I was. I did drugs, which I never had done before. I messed around with women that I had never done before. I became worse as a disciple than before. Because I was bent on destruction. I said, I don't care. Jesus' words offend me. I don't see it. Well, what ends up happening is my stepfather goes to jail for a long time, and I was happy about that. But then years later, about seven or eight years later, my younger brother, who's Juan, who I talked about, he's a messy fan, okay? He is, he, he, he becomes a disciple, radical. And I don't even have time to go to that store, but he's radical. Um, and I remember my brother saying, hey, you know, um, I know I've been only a few weeks out of the water, so I got baptized, but have you forgiven my stepfather? And, and I said, Man, you don't know nothing, bro. Uh, I'm the campus leader here, okay? You're just a newbie. And uh, mind your own business, bro. That's what I kept telling him. He's all like, no, 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 man. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And then I said, oh, my gosh. What do you want me to do, bro? He's like, have you visited dad in jail? I said, no way. He's up in Tracy, California, which is like by on the way to Sacramento. No way. I'm not going up there. He's all like, man, bro, I can't believe you preach to the campus about love all the time. But you're not willing to love my dad. And I was convicted. I got advice. I told my wife, babe, you, you want to go visit him? And I was hoping she would say, that's dangerous. I don't want to go to jail or nothing. I said, babe, do you want to go to Tracy, California? She's like, yes, I want to. I want to go see Central California and be up there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm not getting any support here. Well, I had been ignoring my stepfather's letters. I had been ignoring his calls. I didn't want to talk to him because I hated him still. I remember when I went to the jail, I mustered the strength to go. And I told my wife, stay in the car and go travel around here. I'm going to go by myself. All right. And I went in 
And I remember there when when I went to the to the to the doors, these big gates, they made me sign a, a clause there. Hey, if you get uh if there's a riot or anything, we don't do a hostage policy. And my heart rate went up like, okay, I, I'm just gonna go in there. I hope there's no riot today. And I, I, I'm going in there and, and they're like, hey, are you my sales kid? And I was like, that's my stepfather's last name. Yeah, yeah, I'm Pablo. But my last name is Padilla. But yeah, I know who my stepfather is. They're like, you know, your, your father's a great man of God. And I was like, what? You got the wrong one there, bro. <laughs> then I spoke to a lady who was a sheriff correction officer. She says, your dad helped me with my marriage. I was like, what? No way. We're talking about the same guy. I'm sitting there in the cafeteria and I'm seeing all the inmates who are in good behavior. They don't have any um, shackles or, or nothing. They're free. And I'm like, God, if you want me to die right now, I guess this might be the way I'm going to go out. I said, that's fine. But I'm here. I'm just going to pray and wait for my stepdad to get out. He gets out. I see him. He's a little buffer because he's been working out. But he walks out. He's so happy to see me. And the very first thing we do together, he holds my hands and we pray together. He leads the prayer to my shame. Wow. And I'm going, what? I'm like, <laughs> is this the same God? He says, I've been trying to tell you. I've been writing scriptures to you on those letters that I've been sending you. If you would open them. I gave my life to Christ. And I actually lead a ministry here of uh, over 200 inmates. That's more than the size of shoreline and coastline in Orange County put together, probably. And I'm like, God, what are you doing here? That's the power of God. Amen. Yeah. Now we're great friends uh, in 2021 because I am a licensed therapist. I wrote a letter to the board. Me and my brother were able to reconcile and we were to get his um, release uh, done. Now, you wouldn't believe it. I was asking my mom permission. I said, mom, you know, we're thinking about doing this. She says, I've already forgiven him many years ago. And I was convicted. I was like, mom, what? You've already forgiven him? She's like, yeah, that happened a long time ago. My mom fell away, but she came back. She got restored on May of 2014 on Mother's Day of 2014. Isn't that amazing? So that's the power of God. Let's keep reading here in Luke chapter 7, verse 24 to 28. After John's messengers left, look how Jesus says now, yes, count on me, but you need to count on us. And I got to wrap this up real quick. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Wow, that's encouraging that Jesus lifted up John the Baptist here because it says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. So John the Baptist was struggling a bit maybe with his doubt and his faith. But here's Jesus lifting him up. She's like, remember, he was the attraction. Everyone wanted to go see him. He's still the man. He's the prophet we've all been waiting for. He's the fulfillment of the Bible. He was the messenger. And then he says this about us. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. So John's the greatest, right? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is of God is what? Did you know that you're greater than John the Baptist? That convicts me. I have no honor there. I'm like, no way, Jesus. But Jesus says, if you're the least in the kingdom, you're greater than John the Baptist. I mean, what a high honor. That, wow, I'm greater than John the Baptist. That's how Jesus views all of you today. That's why we could count on you. But we got to count on us. Jesus right there could have been tempted and said, don't listen to John. John is terrible. John is awful. He's, he's so doubtful. Forget him. Don't, he's divisive. He said, no, I'm going to build an alliance with his people in mind. 
are you a team player? Because we got to count on us too, not just on you. And if you are, um, if you have that conviction of counting on us, you could be a great team player. You're a great supporter and encourager. You're a great motivator, communicator, delegator, praiser, biblical, and you're inclusive. That's what people who do great with teams and who collaborate, pull people in together and say, you got to count on us. So sometimes you see other people, hey, it's okay to address certain things with them. Hey, man, I think you got to work on this on your character. That's all good. But what's really interesting is afterwards, how do we treat those people? We have to lift them up and build them up because that's what Jesus did with John the Baptist. He could have easily tarnished his record, if you will, but he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to build them up. You know, Jesus and John the Baptist were more than cousins. They were both prophesied in Malachi. Can you believe that? Cousins were both prophesied in the book of Malachi. They were friends. They were both called by God. They were set apart. They, they, were, they shared in the baptism of Jesus, of course. That's incredible. They were missionaries. They were partners in the Gospels. They were leaders, co-leaders, preachers, prisoners. And at the end of the day, they were martyrs. They had everything in common. And they all died between 34 and 30, 33 and 34 years old. That's Jesus and John the Baptist. That's why he didn't throw them down. Because he knew, I value John the Baptist. Do we value each other like that here in Shoreline? So I just wanted to conclude. Are you the one? I hope you are. I think you are Shoreline Church of Christ. You are the one. But we got to count on you, right? Count on me. And you got to count on us. It's been an honor being with all of you here today. Thank you for your heart. Hope this was helpful. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. My brother Pablo, if I had long hair, we'd be bro twins. Were you moved? Were you stirred? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Look to the person sitting next to you. It could be your friend. It could be your spouse. It could be a complete stranger. If you're stirred, don't do it if you're not stirred. And I want you to tell that person, look him in the eye so you can count on me. You can count on me. Because that's the point of tonight. Can we count on each other? Because Jesus says you can count on me. Can I count on you? And we can't do it alone. We have to do it together. So I want to thank you, Pablo. That was amazing. Nicole, your your communion was... You know, I, I, like, writing, I like writing cards in the moment. Because, like, you know, versus a pre-written card, like, oh, thanks for coming out, you know? I was like, well, that was good. It's like taking notes. It's like taking notes in a thank you card. Like, Whoa. Am I really a Christian? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have wrote that. Uh, that's an amazing story about your brother and about your father and stepdad. It's awesome. We're going to shift gears just, to, just to, for a minute here. And this is our segment of our contribution. I've been, I've been going over a book, and you're reading the book with me. So this is, these are segments from the book. But end of the year, you would have read a great book right it's like kind of like going to the bathroom you read books in there at least i do okay it's a lot of knowledge in there so the israelites after the monarchy had, would fell apart they they got selfish and self-centered and they enslaved their fellow israelites for many years and god would send prophets and say don't do that don't do trust me and so they got sent into uh into babylonian exile for 70 years and they were still hard-hearted and they came back and they built the temple up and they were like <laughs> You know, the economy in Judah wasn't great. Jobs weren't great. Their money wasn't great. And they sought security elsewhere. They, they brought corrupt fruit. They said, you know what? God's not showing up anymore. He used to come down in the glory cloud in Solomon's day, and now he's not showing up. Is God really even here? So they started intermarrying with other non-Israelites. They defrauded widows. They oppressed aliens and orphans. Orphans. They cheated laborers of their wages. Discriminated. And committed perjury in law. That still happens today, right? People will, and, and result of that is that people withheld. It's, oh, it's too risky to give. And they even blame God. The storms of the temple were empty. It's what the Levites uh, were to live on because they took care of the temple. The people offered God what they thought he deserved. And look at what they thought he deserved. They gave up blind, diseased, and lame, lame animals 
They had little economic value because that's how much they viewed God. And so God would send this prophet uh, Malachi, and he, he sarcastically goes to the people, hey, try giving these animals to your governor. Because God goes, tell the people that, because that's how they're treating me. And he writes this in, in verse 8 of Malachi. Cursed be the, be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices it to the Lord what is blemished. It's because their hearts weren't in the offering. It became some rich, whenever something becomes ritualistic, you always degrade it. They saw that giving to God was a burden. That compromised their economic, giving to God's going to slow me, it's going to slow my retirement down. I, I, it's, I, I got too much entertainment going on in my life, not willing to give God his honor. And that's where they ended up. And this is an Old Testament tithing. Versus the New Testament, which is the, the age of the spirit of giving. God says, hey, look, I want you to decide in your heart what to give. But God goes, seek me first. Seek me, and I will move you, and I will stir you. And I will get you to trust me that I will take care of you, because I want you to take care of my church. You know, most of your tithing authority, it goes to our staff. Karen, myself, Isabel, Logan. It's the infrastructure of the church. It's the manpower. You know, that event yesterday was manpower because we hired Isabel and she's good at what she does. And it was man, we, we kind of, we don't really pay her husband, but we hired him sort of too. We got to thank him somehow, right? It's an engine over there. But this is where the hearts of the Israelites, this is where they, 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 they drifted to. And God promises to send this messenger, this John the Baptist, the cousin that, that Pablo talked about, Jesus, the Lord and his cousin to prepare the way because God, he's going to clean out the temple. He's going to cleanse it. He's going to consume. And he's going to be, and then we're going to become the son of righteousness. We're going to become righteous. So if you're not participating, if you're like, I haven't been given, my heart's not been in it, man, I hope you were moved today by Pablo's and the word of God and the story of John and, and, and Jesus. I hope God, and that's how good God does. God stirs you. And then you leave like, oh, and then, you, then Satan takes the seed from you. If you've been stirred, make that decision that, God, you can count on me in contribution. Because we rely on your, your gracious giving and your generosity. That's what God relies on, the trust. So you have to decide, but you have to pray about it and then decide what you give. And then God loves a cheerful giver. And that's the age of the New Testament giving. These are Old Testament laws, but there's a New Testament that frees us to be as generous as we possibly can. Now, I don't know if you, if you knew this, but we have a, a digital giving platform. Now, here's, here's the key. If you type in Shoreline without the COC, if you even put a space in there, you will give to a Shoreline church in Austin, Texas, and that's not us. And I have blessed them a couple of times by accident. They've been blessed by me. So it can't be no space in there because they'll get it. And they're fired up over there, I tell you that. But I said, just give it to, just give it to them. It's God, it's all right, man. You can have it. Can have it next time I'll, I'll take care of it you can download the app and also there's our our website 